0: So I, I was on a call with an American this week, and he used boy howdy as an exclaimant.
1: Boy howdy. i got to tell you, it's my new favorite thing. <laughs> boy howdy. I like it. <laughs> this person also uh, say y'all. Was, was y'all thrown around?
0: Yes, but I can't pull that one off. No? I, I like it because, you know, it's inclusive. Yeah. It's inclusive as, of everyone. You all. Right but I can
1: walk into a room and go, hello, you all. It doesn't work. No, no, it doesn't work. Did you know that there's there's y'all and then there's all y'all? And that's actually like different numbers. That That's different sized groups. Like y'all is like five to eight people. All y'all is like 10 to 20 people. Basically, if it's a big group, it's all y'all. And if it's a small group, it's y'all. Also, I'm not Southern and probably am getting this completely wrong and i would love to see someone write into ask one password and be like ask one password why why are you giving bad advice about y'all versus all y'all i mean you're my source of proof for this so that's that's quite worrying i can tell you anything and i have <laughs> <laughs> so matt yesterday we we shipped a beta of one password for mac and it has something that you and i have been working on for a long long time Uh, among other people it's not just you and me it feels like it's been a a pretty long time yeah it has been i think that this is one of the longest running design and development phases that we've had in quite some time and it's because we really wanted to take our time to make sure we we did it right before we put it in front of everybody this isn't this isn't like a slapdash fly by night operation like we really put a lot of thought into this by the time the show goes live there's no way that we've actually shipped it in stable yet it's it's gonna still be in beta but um it's the new one password mini in one password for Mac.
0: Yeah, I think I've been using it for so long that it, I never really knew what it improves that much. But like moving back to the old one
1: before I kind of moved on to the onto the new beta, it's night and day how, how good it is. It really, really is. Like we've had discussions internally around how things work in the new one and, and, and what people think in a couple of times. Like I've had to sort of say like, Let's just remember what's currently out there that people are using because it's not—it's not great compared to what we've made. Like we are—we are light years ahead of, of of where we were, and I'm really, really happy. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, me too. So let's dive into some
0: Watchtower Weekly.
1: Yeah, let's do it. So this is from uh, Sophos.com. Hacker One declares its first one million dollar bug hunter.
0: Yeah, I mean, we should be clear that like this is not one time purchase this is this is he's racked up like a a list of bug kills right he's got some bugs on his on his trophy shelf that's
1: that's so cool people who are in this this line of work of like trying to find vulnerabilities and, and and security issues i am so impressed like as a software developer this to me is like the next level this is someone whose brain works at a level beyond Uh, where most normal people operate. And I am just, this is so freaking cool. Yeah, I mean,
0: it it says he's been scoring bug bounties since 2015 and has reported over 1,670 valid and unique vulnerabilities uh, to companies such as Twitter, WordPress, Automatic, as well as uh, to private programs. So that's like, you know, that's not that long ago. I, I mean, it's 2019 now. That's
1: a substantial amount that really i mean that's this is this person's full-time job they're averaging a quarter million dollars a year uh for themselves that's pretty good it's not bad yeah and self-taught too like that's that's the other thing this is just like i mean the dude's 19 now which means that he started when he was 15 i mean i'd be pretty pleased if this was my kid i'd be like you know what Time to start paying some rent here, I think. Like, this is, this is good. As a parent, I would want to cash in on this.
0: <laughs> I'd be pretty scared if this was my kid, to be honest. Oh, for sure. I'd be like, mm, I need to teach him some heavy morals about like, <laughs> well, you know, he's, he's scoring white white hat bucks, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, I'd be pretty proud. Lopez is, is typically one of the majority on Hacker one. Uh, in that he's self-taught, which is kind of cool. Yeah, HackerOne says 81 percent of hackers on the platform get their training outside of the classroom, typically learning the craft through blogs and other self-directed educational materials.
1: Yeah, it sounds like there's a whole community for this type of thing. Yeah, it's awesome. That's really, really cool. Ah, good stuff. It's nice to have some positive Watchtower Weekly. Absolutely, and this is totally someone who could use their they could use their knowledge for ill, right? Like this could be this could be one of the the top sort of black hat hackers in the world, but instead they've They've chosen to go all all Gandalf here and 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 uh, fight for good. It's fantastic.
0: So the next one we have is uh, about Facebook misusing phone numbers. <gasps> Another Facebook issue? No. It comes after he put out. Uh, by he, I mean uh, dry toast eating Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I'm talking about him like putting out a, a, a piece about how privacy is important to Facebook and how he's claiming that Facebook will become more privacy-focused and and it's the future of Facebook. Mm, Absolutely. I can say that the future of my cat is to be a dog, but I can wish it real hard. (laughs) It's not going to (laughs) happen.
1: It's such bullshit. It just is such, like, just, it's garbage. No, but I mean, you're absolutely right. You could say your cat's going to be a dog and it's just not, it's not in Facebook's DNA. That's the thing. Like, you look, at it, you look at Apple, and I know that we, you know, you and I are both giant Apple fanboys. I am unapologetic about it. That company, it is in their DNA to be privacy-focused. It is in our DNA to be privacy-focused. It is not in Facebook's DNA to be privacy-focused. And unless there's going to be a huge shakeup in terms of the people that work there, this is not going to take place. You will continue to see stuff like this come to light. And it's the kind of platform where, if you're going to post something, you should assume that it's going to be used for the worst possible means that it could be. It's going to be sold. It's you're going to be exposed to to various uh, sort of privacy breaches and everything else. Like it's you, you may as well just you know figure that everything you're putting up there is going to be used against you at some point in the future. This
0: particular story was about them using uh, people who had attached their phone number for no other reason than two FA, but actually making that. Uh, number searchable by people so if someone had just got your phone number they could have found your account from that um and yeah the, the phone number was added just for enhancing security there's no way to opt out either and it's just you know
1: it's all gross that's the best part of this it's just the irony around like this is this, you enabled this as a security feature and it totally bit you it's oh it's so good and so bad yeah another week another facebook scandal Yeah, I can't wait to hear what next week will bring.
0: I mean, honestly, my my favorite thing was him eating dry toast. Have you seen this video? He he tries to act all human on the camera, and it's like a robot trying to act like a human. It's just like, "Hi, I'm a human, totally human." What are you talking about? And then he turns and he turns to the toaster, takes the toast right out of the toaster, and just puts it straight in his mouth. And he looked like, mm, this is normal. Look at me, super casual.
1: You guys see me eat that toast today? Woo, boy, howdy. That was great. <laughs> boy, howdy. <laughs> so, Matt,
0: should we get into the big topic? So, the the big topic this week is what does sim hijacking mean and how does it work? So, have you ever heard of sim hijacking?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Basically, it's it's at the highest level, it's a way for... Someone nefarious to steal your phone number effectively, right? Like at the end of the day, that they, can, they have your phone number. Yeah, it's essentially the process of
0: hackers activating your number onto a SIM card in their possession. This kind of attack is simple, but actually incredibly effective. It's called SIM hijacking, but it's also known as SIM swapping or SIM hacking. Uh, it usually starts by the hacker calling your wireless carrier and pretending to be you. Kind of a, a social engineering attack. But essentially, on this call, customer support will usually go through a quick verification process. You know, everybody's had these. They often ask for your full name, address, phone number, date of birth, and that passcode that you know you can readily remember.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: And the last four digits of your social security number, if you're American. Right. So if all all this information is in the hands of the hacker, they can easily use these details to impersonate you, basically. Right. They may have got this information from one of these huge data leaks in the past or they may have purchased your data from some nefarious website like facebook yeah (laughs) or found this kind of information out you know from your social media really for sure yeah so this is like scary because it's finding someone's home address mobile number and like the date of birth it's not that difficult in like today's world of oversharing
1: no certainly not this is i mean at that point they are now doing a social engineering attack against your phone provider.
0: Yeah, so the, the hacker still masquerading as you can claim that they've lost the SIM um, and then requesting your phone number to be transferred or ported over to a new SIM that they already own, right? So I don't know whether you've ever done this, but like you get a new SIM card, you ring them up, you read that long number on the back and then yep. they transfer your number in like a number of hours. So from there you would you know, lose mobile or cell phone service and only one SIM can be connected to the cell phone network at any one time. The reason why people do this is so that they can reset your accounts um, and even bypass security measures like two-factor through SMS or or you know using the mobile phone number as a recovery method. So with all this access to your phone number, they can often get into some
1: uh, into most places if if not all of your accounts within a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, they have direct access to any two-factor authentication that you've set up that that takes place over over text. Just by the virtue of having your number, they can sort of verify themselves as your identity because that's that's pretty much what anyone any any service is going to use that as as a means of verification. So how do we protect ourselves from this kind of attack?
0: So as I've mentioned, like very often wireless carriers will use the last four digits of your social security number as, as your default password. Uh, this isn't great. And uh, you know, this might've already been exposed in in possession of the hackers. So if you want to avoid SIM hacking, it's usually strongly recommended that you call your carrier and, and set up a passcode that you haven't used anywhere else. Uh, something that you can always randomly generate using a password manager. And you know, this this really helps add a barrier. Uh, security is all about layers, right? Finally, it's a, it's a good idea to keep an eye on your email. Uh, when wireless carriers make a change on your account, more often than not, they send you an email confirmation with the changes. Uh, if you are unsure that they're coming from you, it's it's usually better to contact your carrier immediately. Yeah. But this is really, you know, a number of these uh, security measures are really down to uh, the wireless carrier. So so your your mobile provider and really what I do is generally pick one that has decent security because, you know, this is it's really a nasty thing. I've had the same phone number for uh, a crazy number of years.
1: Oh, yeah, me too.
0: Yeah, I do make sure that that this isn't easy. So, you know, to summarize, sim hijacking is a, a little known but but actually vastly growing attack. So it's, it's really good to know what it involves and how we can
1: protect ourselves from this kind of threat. Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, Dr. Lori Craner coming on the show today, Matt, and I think that we will probably insert her segment right here. Joining us today, we have Dr. Lori Craner. Lori, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Lori, you are a self-described badass cyber feminist. That's that's a fantastic title. Is that like on your business card? <laughs> no,
2: it's not. Um, <laughs> uh, some, somebody else described me as that once, and I, I decided to uh, go with it. Yeah, no, that's
1: that's fantastic. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself and, and tell the folks at home a little bit about the work you do?
2: Uh, sure. So I am the director of the Scilab Security and Privacy Institute at Carnegie Mellon University, and my research uh, focuses on the human side of security and privacy. And I've done a lot of work related to passwords. Um, as well as privacy policies and other things.
1: Wow, that is very cool. Well, uh, you are right at home on this show today then. That's that's fantastic. So it's been nearly five years since you presented a fantastic TED Talk on passwords and you, you talked about password reuse and strength and complexity and sort of the human aspects of, of creating them. Since that time, Do you think that we still face the same issues?
2: Yeah, actually, I think that not much has really changed on uh, password security and usability, unfortunately.
1: It's very fascinating for me to hear sort of an an outside point of view. And when I say outside, I mean someone who doesn't, who isn't employed by a password management company, because you know, I, I start to see glimmers of, of hope that some of these things are getting better. It's a cold splash of water to hear that maybe they're not. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think are the main things that are holding us back from, from sort of getting widespread adoption of a good online password? Health?
2: Yeah, um, well, so, so it, it's not that nothing has changed. Um, so we have had some changes in the standards. You know, NIST changed their password guidelines. And we do have more password management companies out there and, and uh, producing better products than they did five years ago. So, so there, there there is some progress, but I think we still have the case that most uh, internet users have dozens or more accounts, um, and they have different requirements uh, for each account, and they're not receiving good guidance about how to manage all of that for the most part.
1: Do you think that? The work that Apple has been doing, in particular sort of with the the strong password generator that they added in iOS 12, do you think that that's going to start to help to move the needle a little bit? Or do you think that that's still something that is nice to have, but it isn't necessarily going to make as as big a difference as we're hoping?
2: Well, I think having ready access to password generators is great and it will help, um, but it doesn't get at the whole problem. Um, we we started doing some work in my lab at Carnegie Mellon um, to interview people about why they do or do not use password managers and password generators. And um, we, we hear all sorts of reasons, people who just don't know about them. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of confusion Um, and, and so I think on, on the idea of password generators, a lot of people just don't even understand why they're a good idea in the first place. Mm. You know, it's not just that they don't know where to find one. It's like they, they don't understand why they would want one. There are people who understand it sort of, but say, well, but if I have a random password, and, you know, what happens if I get locked out of my password manager somehow? Like, I'd never be able to figure it out. Whereas if I, if I had a password that I came up with myself, like, maybe I'd be able to remember it eventually. And, you know, th- these are not good reasons, but, but these are people's <laughs> actual reasons.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. Do you hear the reasoning from people of like, well, I'm a nobody. Like, what does it matter if someone gets a hold of my stuff? Like, I, I don't really care that my password doesn't need to be complex.
2: Yeah, yeah, we hear that all the time that people don't don't really understand what the threat is. Right,
1: right. So do you think that the current generation really has any Any grip on their privacy?
2: Yeah, I I don't think it's so much a generational thing. I think we have people in all generations who get it and who don't get it. I think the younger generation may have um, a different threat model than older people. You know, you're starting with with teenagers. You know, the biggest threat to their privacy is their parents, right? Like they're they're not thinking about companies or anybody else, government. (laughs) True, yeah. Who cares, right? It's their parents, right? For sure, yeah. And then as you get older, you know, you realize there are different threats, plus you also get more money and therefore more reason to care so i i I think um it's not so much a generational thing as to far as who cares and who doesn't
1: sure like where do you place the responsibility on, on education here and sort of teaching good password etiquette?
2: Yeah, well, it's not so much etiquette as good password practices. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that's something that, you know, we could teach in school. I think um, uh, employers often do some sort of security training um, with their employees these days. And it would be good for them to not just talk about how to make the employee's company password good, but, but talking about, you know, password use more generally. And I think there's some things that employers could also do to promote good practices. Um, uh, so, so right now, there are many employers that, uh, that actually prohibit using password managers or prohibit using any software that they didn't give their employees and they're not giving their employees a password manager and so they're they're actually making it kind of difficult and cumbersome for their employees to follow the practices that they tell them to follow and that that seems problematic
1: indeed and you you see some of those Similar policies, uh, I think that, that banking sites tend to be the the one that, that comes up quite often of, of they don't allow you to paste in your password. They only allow you to type it. And so subtle things like that, that sort of are digs at the things that password managers are good at uh, and, and sort of putting up those artificial, artificial barriers.
2: Yeah, yeah. And similarly, um, some password managers now have a feature that lets you automatically change your passwords and the password manager goes and does that. But there are sites and banking sites are a good example that put things. In place to make sure that that can't happen automatically.
1: Right. Pivoting just a little bit to privacy and and sort of the concept of, of of privacy online. Do you do you think that that people nowadays sort of understand what you know what is what is happening with their data and and what. What types of things companies are are doing, and, and maybe even what types of things they've given companies permission to do without even knowing it.
2: Well, I think with so much in the news uh, in the past couple of years about social networks and um, and the use of data that they've collected, and uh, you know the whole Facebook and elections and all of that, I think there's been um, an increase in awareness. I think most people still don't really understand how it works and don't. Really have the big picture of who has the data and where it goes and how it got there. But but they realize that the data is going somewhere. Whereas a few years ago, I think people were, were more in the dark about about uh, the fact that their data was even going somewhere. So so people are becoming more informed, but I think there's still a lot of confusion. Sure.
1: Can you talk a little bit about informed consent and sort of what that means? And do you think that gives people enough control over their privacy?
2: Yeah. So, you know, the idea with informed consent is that if a company is going to use your data, that they should ask you and explain to you why and, and then you can choose to consent or not. And there are some legal requirements for informed consent, uh, especially um, in Europe. And um, I, I think a lot of what's being passed off as informed consent is actually not really very informed. Users are are not given complete information about what they're actually consenting to. They're rushed in their consent either because they're rushed along or because they just don't want to spend the time. You know, I'm trying to download this app. I'm I'm trying to open an account. Like, I don't have time to go read all the fine print right now. And companies aren't necessarily making a good effort to simplify it down so that you can get the gist of it without having to read the fine print. So informed consent is in theory a great idea, but I think in practice, it tends not to be very informed. And also there are many cases where there isn't much of an alternative where you can say, well, if, if I don't want to consent to this practice, can I still get the service that I want? There may not be somewhere else to, to go for that service.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It also seems like the kind of thing that is pretty ripe for uh, abuse on a company side almost you know you think of you know the the jokes that people tell about the the iTunes end user license agreement where it's like yes of course I agree I'm not going to spend the next five hours reading this thing it, it seems like that could that could happen with informed consent as well exactly so if you could give sort of the general public a bit of advice sort of help them understand one particular facet of, of online security or privacy like what's what's the thing that's getting you up on your soapbox
2: oh it's, it's hard to <laughs> You <laughs>
1: don't have to pick one. We'll, we'll open it up. We will give you the floor.
2: <laughs> um, well, let's see. So, you know, on passwords, I would say it's really important not to reuse your password, that you really need to have multiple passwords. They need to be really unique. You know, using a password manager can be a great idea. But uh, if you're not going to do that, then, you know, write them down and, and lock up the piece of paper. Uh, but but definitely, you want to have uh, multiple passwords. Passwords. On the privacy front, I think people, you know, should be aware that uh, their personal information goes all over the place. And, you know, when you go on a social network, you should really not be providing personal information that would be bad if it got out. You should assume that information you provide on social networks could get out to anybody. Those are, are kind of two big ones of, of things that I, I would want to to let people know.
1: Very nice. Yeah. Those are some drums that we find ourselves beating uh, around here pretty regularly. So that's that's wonderful. So, what do you think is going to help move the needle in terms of of good password hygiene online? Like what what do we need to do to get it to the point where it's the norm and not sort of the hidden exception.
2: Yeah, that's uh, what we're doing research on right now. We're trying to figure out what, what would make the most difference. And I, I think that there are going to be some improvements to the, uh, the tools that we have available to users, to the advice that we give users, to the kinds of policies that uh, that companies have about passwords I'm hoping that our research will be able to paint a, a clearer picture uh, you know in the next few months about what are the most productive directions to go in
1: oh that's very cool yeah that's it's awesome to hear that that's that that's a problem that someone's working on because I think it's 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 incredibly important and I think that it could affect a ton of change for everyone online so that's really neat thanks Lori thank you so much I think that that we're good we can we can sign right. off thank you have a great day
0: okay Ru, i think it's time for what the phrase and oh uh boy howdy do i have a good one today
1: <laughs> well let me tell you i'm ready
0: more tea vicar i'll give you a clue it's not
1: usually said
0: with the vicar around your house <laughs>
1: First of all, there's a, I have, there's a couple of things. One, I don't know what a vicar is. A priest.
0: A vicar. I
1: don't know. Yeah. No, that's good. You should absolutely always use the word to define the word. Perfect. A vicar works
0: underneath the bishop. It's it's like a local priest, basically. Like a
1: small role, local. A small local priest. Okay. Uh, Matt, is this like a... this? When I hear this, my head goes Monty Python. Is this like a Monty Python thing? It's
0: a, It's a little bit like that. Yeah. Just take a stab at what you might say this after you do.
1: I have a, a scene in my head, but it's not fully formed. I'm sort of picturing like two people sitting by a fire, and like someone has just like delivered an epic burn to somebody else, and then they, they turn to the person next to them and like more tea. Liquor? It's it's kind of like that, except
0: with most of English jokes, it's a fart joke. <laughs> um, it's when someone farts, and then they say the words in a in a very posh English accent. <laughs>
1: I like that a lot.
0: It's basically parodying the behavior in in more upper classes that's like trying to cover it up, basically.
1: Of course. Of course. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. So, you know, sometimes, especially when you're in large family gatherings uh, around my house um, and and someone, you know, lets one go, uh, the the chorus will be "Mm, more tea, vicar.
1: I love that so much. That makes me so happy. I love this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna transplant this, and I'm gonna drive my family crazy as I start to try and use it. Good.
0: I'm glad. I'm hopeful that this is uh, what this segment brings. Yeah. You know, we're gonna try and not use English phrases all the time because I've got so many that I want to share with you. But yeah, I think we're gonna move on to some Swedish ones next week. All right, Roo. I, th- I think that's uh, all we have time for this week.
1: All right, Matt. Well, until next time. I think, I think that we're good here. Love you, Roo. Love you too, Matt. Bye. Bye. <laughs>